Well, this episode of Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air is brought to you in part by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Well, if you are hiring, please do check in with ZipRecruiter. And uh, it is brought to you in part by Away Travel. And if you are traveling, don't travel without this very, very fine suitcase. Let us, uh, let's talk to Adam Cohen. Who is the, uh, the progenitor of uh, Covenant Review, founded in 2005, uh, the world's very first boutique research outfit devoted to um, the fine print and corporate bond indenture covenants and the footnotes there too. Not, not unimportant, those footnotes. And joining me from Grants is the great Evan Lorenz, the deputy editor of Grants, and, uh, and Fabiano Santin, who does so much of our excellent credit work. And as always, it's Eric Whitehead at the dials. Hey, Adam, thank you for being with us. I, this is uh, kind of an 11-year anniversary because I see from the, the Grants archives, uh, not from my own memory, I confess, but I see from the archives that we wrote a piece about you on June 1st, 2007. And the the headline uh, would seem to be as applicable today as it was then. The the headline uh, reads, in full, quote, read the footnotes. Still good advice, Adam? I think it sure is. And approximately one year after you wrote that article, a lot of the trouble started from people not reading the footnotes. That really, um, you know, 08 was when you started seeing all the uh, exchange offers happen from failed LBOs, and the game's just gotten more intense since then. How does the uh, prevailing level of credit protection, you know, if any, uh, compare to that prevailing on the eve of the great sorrows of 2008 and other periods of exceptionally uh, optimistic investing and loose underwriting? My most eloquent response would be, Ugh. Um, so <laughs> I, I really, I feel like um, it, things have gotten quite a bit worse uh, on a few metrics. One is that the kinds of loopholes you used to see mostly in bond documents have migrated very heavily over into loan world. So generally speaking, the leveraged loan documents are as bad as the general high yield bond documents now and often surprisingly worse. So if I could just pick a random name, the, the Revlon loans, and that's obviously a bit of a troubled company, their loan documents are even worse than bond documents. So um, Could you tell us how they're worse? Well, essentially, of course, in a loan, you'd like to know you have a good collateral in intellectual property like brand names for Revlon and that your collateral can't be taken away from you. And when you dig into the loan documents versus the bond documents for Revlon, you find that the loan documents are actually more flexible about a collateral being spirited away and pledged off to other potential lenders to the company. That's really not how a loan is supposed to work. You know, a phrase I've been using a lot is saying to people, uh, these are not your daddy's loans anymore. Well, I mean, it takes two to tango. So you expect the, the promoters of these leverage structures to be as opportunistic as they can be. That's the nature of the game. But why are the creditors of the world uh, formerly feared in, in fact and fiction, you know, the great creditor class, uh, you know, the, the bulging bondholders of yesteryear? How do they become such chumps and such victims? Well, hmm. well I suppose it might turn out one's only a chump if the returns on loans over a span of time don't seem to uh, compensate for the recoveries that occur when there are the eventual defaults. And, you know, I'll, I'll admit the loan market and credit quality generally has seemed to stay robust for a longer period than uh, a lot of people might have expected. Um, certainly, there's been a lot of bankruptcy lawyers who thought they'd be quite busy over the last few years that have not been. So in a, in a sense, this is only going to matter when things get really stressed again. You know, I think if you look at the last time you had um, a, a real um, bout of stress and it was sort of isolated uh, mostly to the EMPs, 
2014-2015, that was an uh, important moment to see that new loop, loopholes that have spread around will be used by all kinds of issuers. Um, it's not just a, a game for the sponsors anymore. So I fear that what will happen, whether it's later this year, 2019, who knows, these defects get proven. But, you know, meanwhile, but to answer your question, you know, why is this uh, continuing is people feel like there's lots of money to invest. And so they have to. And, you know, I had the privilege of uh, having a roundtable with some loan managers not long ago. And, and you know, frankly, you know, even heard a loan manager say, well, uh, you know, sort of the Chuck Prince quote, uh, the requirement to keep dancing. And, you know, if any of the people who you know, our managing these CLOs had decided two years ago, well, we're just not going to buy on principle. Well, they really would have underperformed. Under, uh, they didn't buy. Um, <laughs> they didn't buy. Hey, you know, right. so, so and, you mentioned the Chuck, uh, Adam, you mentioned the Chuck Prince quote, and I have to interrupt mm -hmm. this broadcast to quote from the Financial <laughs> Times of uh, only a couple of days ago. We're this is, uh, well, this is the FT of May 1st. And uh, hidden on the front page, uh, out of sight, is a quotation from uh, Lee LeBron, who was the head of M&A in North America for Rothschild. And here is the quote. The only thing that will stop this is an exogenous shock or a political shock, a risk that uh, has gone up. And he goes on to say, but as long as the music plays, people will keep dancing, close quote. All right. So the market is, is famously forgetful. It's only been 10 years. <laughs> but you know, the amazing thing about this quote is, is that apparently nobody at the FT thought it was worth remarking. This is an echo of Chuck Prince from Citibank, or the most fateful quote of the, uh, of the last cycle. And it took a letter to the editor the next day, a guy from, uh, uh, I don't know, Tau Center in North Ants, UK, Brian Bolin is the name of this historian, who picked this thing out as, as, the, as the, the, liter the literal echo of the Chuck Prince. Case. He said, isn't anybody paying attention? So my question to you is, is it so puzzling that, that people seemingly are putting up with these invasions of the rights and prerogatives of senior lenders in view of the passage of time? It's been oh, not 10 years, but 11 years since the last crack up. Maybe it's just time for another one. Uh, it, it may well be. Um, you know, and on the documents, I think the long history of covenants is basically people start getting really loose about protections just before it really matters again. You know, in fact, if you think way back to the uh, you know, famous RJR Nabisco LBO, MetLife and other bondholders really got stung on that because when the LBO occurred, there was no protection against the change control. Well, in fact, change control provisions had withered away and, and vanished just a few years before that LBO. Uh, they used to have more robust protections. So people tend to um, you know, get more lax just before there tends to be a, a, a right. problem. So back in um, 2000, this is so, a, sorry, forgive me, Adam, yeah, but, proceed. Mm -hmm. Well, but, so, but I think, Jim, so you and I, our, our job is that when there's a congressional subcommittee investigation one day, you and I can say, wait a second, we said on, on, on Jim's podcast that um, the documents were really poor and, and recovery rates would be low. Yeah, that and uh, how, how much is the subway fare these days, fellas? Uh, was it $15? Or that and 15 bucks will get you a ride in the subway. This episode of Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air is brought to you by Away Travel, maker of one of the very keenest carry-on suitcases available, period. Uh, they do it uh, by using the best quality materials um, to achieve a lower price and uh, well, they sell directly to you. X middleman You can choose from a variety of colors and four sizes, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, or the large. That's for extended stays. And do you know there's a lifetime warranty? Anything breaks, we'll fix it or replace it for you for life. There's a 100-day trial. Now, here's what the trial entails. You can live with this thing. You can vibe with it. And I know you know what that means. You can travel with it. If at any point you decide it's not for you, return for full refund and no questions asked. But you will not do that. 
because listen to the sound of this baby. Hold on a second. That that is a suitcase. You're going to want that right by your side. So, uh, hey, do you have a cell phone? I expect you do. Well, if you have one, uh, don't worry about having a dead phone while traveling because you're going to recharge it right in your away travel case. Now, here's a special offer. So for $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash grantspod and use promo code grantspod during the checkout. That's uh, awaytravel.com slash grantspod and use promo code grantspod during the checkout. All right, that's a call to action. Do it. You know, back when we spoke in 2007, Adam, a change of control covenant seemed to be the point of vulnerability for investment-grade securities. That uh, that comes such a change, it turned out that the uh, the language was not at all what it seemed. In fact, the language, as as evident in the body of the the document was contradicted or evanesced away in a in a footnote. Now, is change of control today the characteristic weakness, or might there be some other point of so-called protection that is going to bite the creditors in the the next cycle? Well, there can be occasional good news. So I would say since 2007, there's been a really robust spread of change control protection to where the majority of high-grade bonds, where you might even conceive of a possible uh, LBO kind of event, people will be protected. Now, you do get into some more nuanced situations about, well, what if you have a high-grade issuer that drifts down to junk and then it gets uh, an OBO? You know, we can get some nuances. But broadly speaking, people did finally work to improve covenants on change control protection. So there, there is some hope. The new game, though, is really about moving assets into so-called unrestricted subsidiaries. That's probably the number one danger right now. Um, you know, this is a, a mechanism that lets an issuer take things that used to be collateral and move them around to other affiliated entities. So then when the company goes bust, uh, lenders don't have the collateral they expect. And that mechanism has been a very prominent part of the game in situations like the Caesars bankruptcy, a big game in the iHeart bankruptcy. And essentially, sponsors have used these provisions to keep companies uh, still in business and out of the bankruptcy court for years longer than might be expected if there were what used to be the old standard protections for creditors. You know, uh, Fabiano, uh, you have taken a look at uh, a lot of these um, bond exchange offers, and you have observed instances in which the creditors are seemingly coming with a short end of the stick. What, what, what do you see, and how might uh, Adam address some of these weaknesses, I wonder? Why don't you tell us some yeah. of your experience? So actually, I wanted to ask Adam uh, about, we, we wrote about Mondelez International. The company came with a tender and consent solicitation last month. We, we wrote about it, and then Bloomberg reported uh, that the company basically uh, was advised that including the consent solicitation to remove several covenants, like the change of control provisions, the sale and lease back, and other uh, covenants was, was what lawyers or investment bankers advised them. So, like, how how is the the dynamic uh, usually? It's not. Is it the the company, the CEO, the CFO that requests this, these uh, covenant changes, or is it investment bankers, the lawyers? Um, it is almost always driven by bankers and lawyers. I would say, though, more and more, it's the lawyers. Um, there has been almost a competitive arms race among issuer and sponsor law firms to try to pre-plan as many possible loopholes and exceptions as possible uh, to the point where, um, you know, law firms are actually putting into their pitch decks when they go to try to get a new client, 
look how glorious we are at putting loopholes into bond documents. So uh, it really is the lawyers, you know, trying to make a showpiece of their ability to put the loopholes into the documents. Which, which law firms are particularly upfront about this? Well, uh, I would say that um, Kirkland Ellis has uh, certainly done quite an aggressive job. And I would say many uh, bondholders and, in, in fact, even more so, uh, the, uh, the underwriters feel like um, it's uh, quite hard to uh, overcome the K&E guys on these. Why is that? K&E is quite informed about the market and tend to have a, a view uh, in talking to bankers that, well, if you won't do this for our issuer, we'll just go down the street and get another bank to do it. And uh, given the choice between losing business and keeping one's standards, well, um, banks don't like to lose business. Well, then it goes to the investors, right? The re investors are representing the insurance policyholders, the pensioners of America. And uh, ought they not to stand up and say, we require the protection that, uh, that our clients need? Well, there's, so there's the, the dilemma is that when you have the vast majority of loans without maintenance covenants, um, if you're going to be the insurance company that says, we won't buy a loan without maintenance covenants, certain, then your selection is going to be mighty thin. And then you have to start explaining to your policyholders and, and your board um, how come you don't have a diversified portfolio or how come you're lagging behind others in the market. So you really need a lot of insurance companies, mutual funds, and others to say, hey, we have new standards. We're not buying any bond that has this kind of problem, or we're not buying any loan without a maintenance covenant. And Jim, it goes back to your earlier observation and, and commentary that we're going to need something really bad to happen before something good happens, because that's all that changes behavior. Well, if, if the present moment in covenant protection and creditor protection is the worst of any a recent cycle, could you help us, A, identify living examples of risk in a particular deal or a set of documents, and B, to help us speculate on the consequences of the slackness of protection in the cycle to come? Sure. You know, let's take the oil and gas space. And I like this because in 2015, numerous issuers like Chesapeake and Halcone and Midstates did exchange offers where essentially um, they forced bondholders to get partially equitized by saying to them, look, you have unsecured bonds, um, swap into new secured debt or structurally senior debt at a real haircut, or, well, you're just going to be pushed down behind everybody that does. And if you look at a firm like Halcone, they did this more than once, and they wiped over $800 million off their balance sheet by doing these forced exchange offers. So you would expect that since these living examples happened in 2015, surely those document loopholes would not still get sold in 2017, 2018, but they do. So two examples would be um, the Whiting Petroleum deal that sold in December, that bluntly allows pretty much anything you call a credit facility to be secured, which is pretty much the loophole that Halcone did to execute its exchange offers. Another one I'll take is uh, WPX Energy. That was a recent deal. It's high yield, but they sold with high-grade bond covenants. So essentially, they can take their current credit facility, expand it to an unlimited amount, and issue secured debt under that. So I have the same industry that forced, you know, bondholders to go into exchange offers just three years ago, well, they get to keep selling the same covenants again. So we have very low interest rates and very loose covenant protection. And uh, uh, I don't need to finish the sentence. I, mean, I was going to get, uh, you know, a little bearish, but I'm not going to do that because I'm going to ask you, <laughs> and particularly about uh, SoftBank. Any comments on that one? 
You know, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, we have two analysts who have really looked at that in detail in my office, but it's not me. Okay. Can I ask you about one trend? Post the financial crisis, there's been a big move by companies to use adjusted earnings metrics and adjusted EBITDA, and they redefine what earnings are. And it seems like that's been creeping into bonds. I, I know that a lot of companies, when they do leverage tests in their bond covenants, now use basically management's definition of earnings. How prevalent is this trend, and what does it kind of mean going forward? So, it, so in leverage finance, at this point, some version of adjusted EBITDA is quite common. But we are seeing things turn into absolute fantasy land. Um, and the wonderful recent example of this was WeWork. So to give you a sense of the magnitude of that one, if you look at the WeWork financials, for 2017, the income statement starts with a net loss of $933 million. Once you get to adjusted EBITDA, they've gotten themselves to a negative $193 million. Well, gee, it's awfully hard to sell a bond deal when you still have over $190 million of negative adjusted EBITDA. No, it's so not. So then they invented <laughs> – well, I'll tell you how you do it, Ethel. Um, so then they invented something called adjusted EBITDA before growth investments, but that wasn't enough. So they invented a third version of adjusted EBITDA called community adjusted EBITDA, whereupon they achieved $233 million of positive community adjusted EBITDA. So that is a $1.1 billion swing between net loss to their finagled adjusted EBITDA, and put another way, that $1.1 billion adjustment, that's more than the entire revenues of WeWork last year. So that was adjusted, adjusted, adjusted EBITDA. Correct. Okay, this episode of Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air has been brought to you in part by Zip Recruiter. Now, are you hiring, uh, posting your position to a job site and waiting for the right person to see it? Well, Zip Recruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidate for you. Zip Recruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply for your job. And these invitations have revolutionized how you find your next, in fact, in fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the next to the site in just one day. And that's like having, uh, that's like, uh, like prime delivery, right? Just one day. It's a human being shipped to you in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the, the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. So businesses of all size trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, F-R-E-E. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. That's G-R-A-N-T. Hey, that's my name. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Adam, you are um, a lawyer by trade, and in fact, uh, to judge by your standing at the Georgetown Law School Law, Law Journal at the University Law, it's at Law Center, right? University? Yeah. Anyway. Adam, you are an excellent lawyer, and I want to ask you to step a little bit outside the law to speculate on the consequences of the things you have described in the market for uh, high-grade securities and for uh, speculative-grade securities come the downturn. Uh, what might it mean for recovery rates, recovery rates and for the incidence of bankruptcies? Well, so first for recovery rates, you know, the, the sort of historical room, r rule of thumb is that you know, secured lenders recover about 85 cents in the dollar, 80 cents in the dollar. That's kind of about as bad as it might get. I think that's going to turn out to be drastically incorrect because in the old world, you assume that if I was a secured lender, I have a continuing pool of collateral and I know what it is. So my impairment is just going to be that the value of the collateral itself declined because the business declined. But in this new world, 
large amounts of that collateral get entirely transferred away and given to other persons. So when you take your impairment, that's going to be based upon losing a lot of collateral. So I think recoveries are not going to be what they were in the in prior cycles, first for loss of collateral. Second is, of course, well, there's hardly any maintenance covenants anymore. And so without maintenance covenants, there's not much ability for lenders to step in as things deteriorate. And you know, you can look at some stories that have uh, you know come to a sad end, such as Toys R Us or Sears. Those are companies that have just dismembered themselves over a course of years. And maybe if you had normal credit documents, then for Sears and Toys R Us, four or five years ago, maybe lenders could have stepped in and more responsible ownership have, could have gone in. And maybe those businesses would still survive instead of being taken apart just to keep up with the next attempt at putting off the day of reckoning. So I think it's also um, pretty bad for the economy and, and employment as a whole to have some of these zombies going on just with these poor documents. What does it mean for the equity class? Because you mentioned um, two oil companies that had exchange offers but didn't have bankruptcies, and Caesar, which was able to basically stick a lot of losses to creditors while still keeping you know, an equity line open without um, kind of going bankrupt. Does this mean a net transfer from creditors to uh, equity holders, and how will that shape out, shape out in uh, the next crisis? Yes, that is absolutely what's happened. It certainly is a transfer from, from debt to equity. You know, and something like, like a debt exchange offer, it's extremely blunt. Here comes all that debt off the balance sheet, and uh, usually the, the stock market quite appreciates that. But you know, we have to ask, is that really supposed to be the deal? Are the you know, widows and orphans who are relying upon responsibly managed bond funds, are they really supposed to be uh, the backstop to over leverage and having um, Swiss cheese kind of a document? You know, to some degree, uh, you know, secured loan funds are sold as you know, a safer investment than unsecured bond funds, of course. But I just don't think that the reality of the documents today matches um, the historical understanding of, of those documents. Well, Adam, thank you for all of this and for the good work you do on Covenant Review. And um, I think you're going to make one heck of a witness come the, uh, uh, the end of the crisis when people are really going to get mad. Uh, but until then, they will, I suspect, simply, uh, to borrow a phrase, not read the footnotes. Okay, this episode of Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air has been brought to you in part by Zip Recruiter. Now, are you hiring, uh, posting your position to job sites and waiting for the right person to see it? Well, Zip Recruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidate for you. A Zip Recruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply for your job. And these invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, in fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate to the site in just one day. That's like having, uh, that's like, uh, like prime delivery, right? Just one day. It's a human being shipped to you in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the, the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. So businesses of all size trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. F-R-E-E. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Grant. That's G-R-A-N-T. Hey, that's my name. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Grant. ZipRecruiter.com slash Grant. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with us today. And, and Adam, thank you especially for your learned and uh, helpful and scintillating and, yes, to be sure, a little scary insights into the nature of this cycle in um, so-called credit protection. Till next time, Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. 